How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, <clears throat> working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And again, we're going to be just uh, doing a slow walkthrough of this, just taking a look at what it says, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our own learning. If you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. All right. So as you see today, our broadcast is titled um, Seducing Spirits and Doctrines of Devils. <clears throat> so you kind of have an idea where we're going to be going with this. So uh, we don't really need to go into great depth about it. There's a few things we may touch on and, and uh, explore as we go through here. But uh, just an overall, I simply said to summarize my entire message before I even give it, is just if something contradicts the word of God even remotely, then it's wrong. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, how you feel, or anyone else says or feels or thinks or whatever else someone else has written or talked about or has or whatever. It doesn't matter if it even remotely contradicts the word of God on any singular point, then it's wrong and the word of God is true. It's simple as that. It's as simple as that. So how can we know what is true and what is not then? <laughs> you need to study the scriptures then. You need to study the word of God. You need to get busy about it. You say you love the Lord, then you should be obsessed with the word of God. Then there are people out there that uh, will, will call that of the religious spirit or some other thing, or they start uh, screeing about their uh, church traditions and whatnot. Well, they're all wrong. The word of God is the only thing that God has said above his very name. The scriptures are the only thing that he's preserved unto all generations. The word of God is the only thing that, that uh, can perfect those that give themselves to it. Only the Bible can, uh, can, can uh, <clears throat> help us to know all that uh, we should know. As an answer for absolutely everything. And only those who are unchanged by it would seek to change it. So, with that in mind, let's get going. <clears throat> okay. So, with 1 Timothy, awful lot of information going through here. We see that Paul is writing to Timothy and helping him to understand, uh, again, just causing him to call into remembrance again, the basics of the faith regarding uh, the founding of churches, the running of, of churches, about the basics of the faith, these kinds of things, and some final warnings and things to watch out for. And uh, we're going to be going over some of this. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study. So like I was saying, a basic overview here as Paul is giving it to Timothy, just to remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this, as I'm telling you, as an appointed, uh, ordained preacher by God, Paul says. As Paul, an apostle, uh, founder of the churches, uh, he has a lot of authority behind him, backing him in this. 
And he, and the one thing I want to point out first before we get going is to back up into chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So grab your Bibles and please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All right. Now, there's a lot of things that Paul has said and that he hasn't said. And when we're talking about doctrines of devils and things, we've got to keep in mind what Scripture flat out says. All right. Now, what Paul never wrote, for example, <laughs> I love I love this meme. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I was adrift at sea. I suspect this happened because I forgot to plead the blood of Jesus over the vessel and failed to take authority over the weather. <laughs> and what we never see in the Word of God is where we are given the power in and of ourselves yes jesus says in my name but it's his name his power and all of him and it's not about us and these things didn't happen to paul because he forgot to do this forgot to do this sometimes some things just happen sometimes some things happen now as we see in uh, in uh, chapter 4 verse 1 it talks about the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils it's a doctrine of devils that that turns you into the god of your own reality that un- unless you are maintaining the rituals unless you are maintaining the power bad things happen. no the lord says that we will suffer tribulations for his name's sake that things will happen uh, do you think the reason that Paul got arrested and, uh, and tortured and beaten and all these things happened to him is because he for, he forgot to re- rebuke all these things? Sometimes some things happen. Take a look at Job. Sometimes things happen as a test of our faith. Not even as a test of our faith, but an example uh, of our faith uh, to show that uh, as the devil thinks he can break us, he thinks he can move us, and that God is disproving him, by allowing these things to happen to us as an evident token of our faith. So we see in chapter 3, verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It's not about us. It's not our story. It's not our religion. It's not about our denomination. It's not about even our faith. It's about the faith of Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.16. As you see, it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's about his power, him working through us, whether that is to calm the storm of whatever it may be, or to be able to work through it, be able to get through it. It's about him demonstrating himself through us in all of these things. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, what is godliness? Those uh, of certain Pharisaical sects would say godliness is about the doing and not doing, the uh, abstaining and obtaining. It's about the physical fruits. You may remember my previous message I did on the mystic fruit bowl, (laughs) where they take the physical fruits, they take the physical evidences, and they make that the focus. That's the evidence. That's the proof. The fact that you're doing and not doing, you're abstaining and maintaining and keeping and you're working. And it's about the keeping of the laws and all this stuff. No, 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 no. 
It's about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's not, it's not so much of what you're doing as what it is you're holding, what you're believing. It's about the heart. It's about the faith of the heart. And as we see, for example, in uh, the scriptures where it talks about, where Paul says, uh, one is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but one is one which is of the heart, uh, of faith. You're of the seed of Abraham by the promise, by the faith. By faith you are by, by the promise. Not as That's why John the Baptist said, Say not because we are of Abraham, we are of, of the seed. No, God is able of these stones to raise up children. It's not about the bloodline. It's not about the phylacteries. It's not about the rituals. It's not about the abstaining and keeping, maintaining all these things, about the churchianity. It's about the faith of the heart. What is godliness? Godliness is the character of Christ Jesus, God Almighty, working through you. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives through me. Christ lives through me. So we see the words and the works and all these things that we're doing. It's not about us. And they say, well, you got to maintain your sanctification. No, you don't. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, he is made our, who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is our everything. He is our wisdom, our sanctification, our redemption. He is our salvation. He, he teaches us how to pray, for we know not how to pray for as we ought. He gives us the words with which to say, because we have no idea what to say. He is our righteousness, because we have absolutely none of our own. We can't even maintain righteousness, because we corrupt it within five minutes, but we have thought, word, or action. He is our thoughts. He, he uh, teaches us how to think. He teaches us what to say. He teaches us how to work. He shows us where to go. He sanctifies all things in our lives for us because we have none of our own. It's about him. The godliness is not my godliness, not your godliness, not ours. It's his godliness seen through us. It's his godliness seen through us. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, yes, I, I, uh, the, this, uh, the direct interpretation is the physical incarnation of God in the person of Jesus. Yes, but there's another aspect here we can look at, an application. God was manifest in the flesh. When people see you, do they see the manifestation of Jesus Christ in your words and works and your charity and your deeds of the heart of faith? Or do they see you? Are you making it about you? About your works, your fruit, your sanctification, your righteousness, your godliness. Or are you showing his? You're backing off. You die to self. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives through me. God is manifested through the flesh. You see that? The reason why I do things, the reason why I don't do things. So when I read this, this verse here, I see God was manifest in the flesh. I see in my mind, I see kind of a twofold point that yes, God is manifested in the flesh. God came down, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. But also see that in my life through my person, 
that, that everything that I am doing, I want to promote, I want to show, I want to demonstrate, I want to manifest the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. When we understand this, and we understand it's about his word, not mine, his reasoning, not mine, his doctrines, not mine, his righteousness, not mine, then I'm truly starting to grasp the concept of born-again Christianity. Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What is the purpose of Christianity? What is the purpose, the point, the reason of born-again Christianity? Why are we here? Why, why is it that, that the moment we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he just takes us home? How, how come that's not the case? Why does he leave us here? What is the purpose? What's the point? 1 Peter 3.15. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks, asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The reason we are here, as the scriptures say, unto us is given the message of reconciliation, how to be reconciled to God, to be brought back to the Lord, for our sins have separated us from God. But God so loved the world, he's not willing that any should perish, but he makes a way of escape, and that, that he came down, and he humbled himself to the cross, even the, the death of the cross, and it, he made a way for us for salvation, to be brought back, to be reconciled to the Lord. And he's given to us the job to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He wants us to be his witnesses, his testifiers. He wants us to be those that demonstrate God's nature, that show his love unto all, the forgiveness, that, 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 to show the character by our deeds, Christ-likeness, to be like Christ. Now, we are not Christs of ourselves. We're not gods or any of this kind of thing, but we see God is with us. Christ is with us. His spirit indwells us. His hand holds us. He surrounds us by his power. He pours his spirit upon us. He teaches us all things, causes us to be in remembrance of everything. He empowers us, instructs us, teaches us, holds us, protects us, guides us. And he says, now go, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. So that we ready ourselves to be always ready, watching in prayer and fasting, watching for that opportunity to be able to share the truth of the person of Jesus Christ unto anyone and everyone that would come our way. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evildoing. So we see... Godliness of God being manifested in the flesh it goes by a twofold interpretation we can see in this. We see it, we see actually an, an interpretation and an application to be more correct. There's a, a singular interpretation of what it means and an application. It applies to this other aspect I've been talking about. Now, what I want to establish here before we get into chapter four, as you see, what is the purpose? The reason, the purpose of born-again Christianity. Now, I say born-again Christianity. You may notice I, that I say things differently than most other ministries or whatever. You can't really say Christian. Because that, that 
the, the term Christian has been kind of taken and it has been abused, misused, and misrepresented and applied to all kinds of other false religions. When you say Christian, that pretty much brings in under the banner of anyone or anything that is even of a some some somehow quasi judeo-christian kind of sect everything from catholic to orthodox to mormon to whatever else so i i kind of specify it by saying born again christian because that's quite quite accurate quite apropos in this because it kind of erases all the others Catholics don't call themselves that. Orthodox don't call themselves that. Mormons don't, certainly. Seventh-day Adventists don't. So we see, what is a born-again Christian? What is the purpose of our faith? Now, I was going to say religion, but instead I said faith, because the word religion has been uh, immensely misunderstood as well. We see in James, pure religion undefiled. What is pure religion undefiled in born-again Christianity? By this, when we, it, it, when we explore this, when we inspect this, we see that it comes with a certain position, a certain understanding, a certain job, and a work to do. And understanding that as, as Jesus called his disciples, he said, come follow me, and he talks to them about, about forsaking all. Forsaking all. Now that's something you'll never hear the prosperity preachers say to forsake all because they want you to gather all not forsake but to gather up as much of everything as you possibly can they preach the same gospel that satan did in the temptation of the wilderness give you all the kingdoms and the powers of the world all the riches of the world the moment you understand the prosperity preachers preach the same message that lucifer did in the temptation of the wilderness is when you'll finally understand what prosperity gospel is all about because this just falls right into right into this in chapter 4 verse 1 now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils seducing to seduce you it's seductive it, the, the, its appearance its glitter its tinsel its tapestries the things about it are very appealing to the eyes and the senses it's very appealing to the eyes and the senses. You love the sound of it, the sight of it, the, uh, the, the taste of it, the touch of it, the, the, the feel of it, something about it. It's, it. it's appealing. It's very appealing. Well, granted, think about it. If someone walked up to you and offered you $5 million, I bet you'd be pretty much hard-pressed to find anyone that would turn that down. Of course, everyone wants money and power and fame. But in all of this, see, the Lord is asking that we would sacrifice it, that we forsake all. That, that, that no, I'm not talking about if you have the riches, have this about literally giving it up, but I'm, rather I'm talking about using that for the Lord instead of for yourself, that it's no longer about you. You see, this is what the enemy wants because the devil has no truth in him. John chapter 8. He is a liar and the father of it. And there's no truth in him. Since he has no truth, no actual true doctrine, his doctrines are then going to be all about physicality. 
It's all going to be about the flesh, the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's all going to be about that. It's only about a physical answer, physical remedies. It's all going to be about the appeasing of your senses. It's all going to be about your feelings. It's going to be about you because you can be as God knowing the difference between good and evil. When you take a look at much of what's coming out of Hollywood, for example, by way of much of the entertainment, um, you see how much how much of the films of the entertainment is about you attaining, achieving, gaining some kind of power, becoming like a godlike figure of your own? You're the hero. You're you're the 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 one on, one in charge. You're the authority. You have all the answers. You're the victor. You're the conqueror. It's all about you. It's very appealing. It's very seductive. Very seductive. Now, this is in entertainment. Now, how about if we take this and we turn this around to a religious, spiritual sense? A religious, spiritual sense. Now, Satan said, Lucifer said that you can be as God. You can be as God. Knowing the difference between good and evil. Knowing the difference between good and evil. You have the ability in and of yourself to make the choices know the difference call the shots be the authority that you are the god of your own life you are able to tell the doctrines you know what's right what's wrong by your feelings your opinions your senses your mind your reasoning your logic your intellect because by your visions, your dreams, your writings, your education, by your learning, your wisdom, your knowledge, you have the answers. You can be as God. So instead of surrendering up yourself, backing off and refusing to take the authority yourself and, and just asking the Lord, you ignore the Lord and do it yourself. Departing from the faith by doing that. Look at this verse one. So what is, so we have to ask the question then, what is the faith? What is the faith? Well, something comes to mind. We see over in Galatians. Let's go to back to Galatians. Went past it. Oh, went past it again. Galatians chapter two, verse 16. Now, this is talking about how we're not justified by the law, but there's there's a phrase in this verse I want, I want to point out. Knowing that a man is not justified, just as if you've never sinned, justification, just, uh, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we'll get to that, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay, so what then is faith? What is faith? Well, as you see in Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing trust. Believing trust. 
Faith is not works. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. Faith is believing trust. Faith is not works. Faith is not righteous works. Faith is not works of the law. Faith is not my gaining, achieving, maintaining, atoning, my deeds, uh, anything of my abilities. Faith rather is of the heart. Faith is believing trust. As you see, there's another way of explaining this. We see over in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we want verse 13. Actually, back up verse 12. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory. We should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed the Holy Spirit of promise. So your sins are forgiven and you're sealed by the Spirit of God by believing trust. And it's about believing trust. Some shall depart from the simplicity of this believing trust. For the time will come they can no longer abide sound doctrine, but will be heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall be turned into fables. Now, the Spirit speaketh especially the Spirit. Now you notice in your Bible the word Spirit is capital S. That's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, speaks expressly, importantly. Actually, take a look at this one. Expressly. Uh, Ritos. Expressly and express words uh, derivative of outspokenly, distinctly. Specifically, distinctly. He has spoken very clearly about this. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. They'll depart from believing trust in Christ alone. In Christ alone. That, that, that the simplicity of the faith is boring to them. It's not exciting to them. It no longer appeals to them. All right? It no longer appeals to them. So they give heed, give way. They give ear to, they have itching ears, seducing spirits. These other spirits over here are whispering something showing something demonstrating something that is very that is very appealing to you now i've done talks before on an interesting word the word mysticism now mysticism derives from the from the uh understanding uh, this is the practice of the mystic now a mystic is one who believes in unseen realities one who believes that they can have a relationship with the divine one who believes that they can access hidden knowledge and and things that normally cannot be accessed by the normal person we believe in god we believe in unseen realities we believe we can we have access to the, the hidden knowledge because the natural man receiveth not the things that be of the spirit of god for their foolishness unto him neither can he know them for they are spiritually discerned so we, we, this is an interesting word but the thing about this we see is people they stray from the the simplicity of believing faith and they put the mysteries 
the Mysterion. They put the, 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 the mystic properties not on faith, but on other substances, upon other aspects, upon other things. They get led astray by physical mysticism, false mysticisms. For example, we see like in the Bible, the Pharisees, their whole belief structure was based upon their doing, not doing, wearing the right clothes, walking the right distances, washing their hands right, doing the rituals, all on physical mysticism. Like the Catholic and the Orthodox, where it's all about the, the incense. It's about the holy water, the holy oil. It's about the magic Oreo Eucharist things. It's about the rosaries. It's about the phylacteries. It's about the, the idols and the gold and the tabrets and all about the, all the other stuff. It, we see how people stray from the simplicity of the faith, believing trust, and they put their faith on things. See that? see that with the faith on things not even just on the cults and other false religions but we even see within within the confines of born-again christianity we see a lot of denominations doing this this very same kind of thing being led astray by seducing spirits for example we see in certain uh certain denominational sects within born-again christianity they play they play mysticism based upon making sure you're dressed right because that makes you more of a christian but if you wear this do this don't do this don't eat that make sure to eat this don't watch this make sure you watch that it, it'll make you more holy it'll make you closer to god if you if you maintain physical mysticism we don't find that in the bible because they're bored with the simplicity of the faith and they have to they have to create some form they have to create some form of physical mysticism and they get so angled on that they create hobby horses based on this and they start preaching their traditions of men as doctrine tell me i'm wrong some shall depart from the from the simplicity of the faith so we see that they're not only is this talking about uh, people abandoning the faith kind of thing, but even corrupting the faith. And in, in so doing, being led astray by seducing spirits into their, their physical mystic hobby horses, they start preaching doctrines of devils. They start preaching doctrines of devils. Now, what are doctrines of devils? Let's get into this one. Well, we, we do know what God's doctrines are. Doctrines, what are doctrines? Doctrines, this is the teachings of. Teachings. What this says. What the book says. Sim simply just what this says. That's the teachings of the doctrines. So we have the doctrines, the teachings of God, based on, on what is sin and what is righteousness, how we are saved and what condemns us, and all these things about the person of Christ, the deity of Christ, all this other stuff. As we see, for example, in verse 16 of chapter 3, God was manifest in the flesh. 1 John 5.20, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. As many stray from this. As, as we do see it, the further on we go, we see more and more of this kind of thing. Or over, was it uh, the last poll that was done? Um, a while ago now, but um, it was almost 60%. It was close around the 
percent mark of 60 percent of americans deny the deity of jesus christ 60 percent of all those who say they believe in jesus deny his deity think about that one the time will come they can no longer abide sound doctrines but they start to be drawn off led astray and believing false doctrines but what did jesus say jesus said if you do not believe that i am you will die in your sins so therefore by what he says right there in john chapter 8 jesus says that, that the deity of christ that believing that he is god he is the i am is a is a salvationary requirement if you do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. Simple as that. If you deny his deity, you're not saved. Just think about that one. Now, doctrines of devils. How can this happen? How can actually satanic doctrines get into the church? Well, a lot of this is also stems from the incorrect view of the devil. You see, people see Satan, they hear the devil, they hear Lucifer, they hear the evil one, and instantly this conjures up a picture in their mind that is unbiblical. For example, Satan doesn't look like a pitchforked, carrying, horned, long-spear-tailed, red-suit-wearing, goatee-carrying hound of hell. He doesn't look like that. He doesn't look like that. Demons don't even look like that. I don't know why Hollywood always portrays them as some evil, twisted, dark, fanged monster of hell. I don't know why they always portray that. That's not what devils look like. They look like angels of God. They are able to make themselves appear as all kinds of other things if they so wanted. But their natural form is to look like angels of God. And in fact, they actually prefer that. You know why? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his ministers, Satan's preachers, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Then that just watch and you will see the of uh, what their outcome is, their point, their purpose of what it is that they're doing. For example, I'm just going to pick on them again. Joel Osteen. Oh, sure. Sure. He looks great. He's friendly, he's warm, he's nice, he's loving, he says the name Jesus a lot, he says he loves Jesus, and all of this kind of thing, and he, he preaches unity, and peace, and love, and charity, yeah, sure, of course, absolutely, but he's a minister of Satan. Because you take a look at his doctrines. The doctrines coming out of his heart. He denies the deity of Jesus Christ. 
He says Jesus stopped being the Son of God at the cross. That Jesus, in fact, did not become the Son of God until he got baptized in the River Jordan. And he says that Catholics and Mormons are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I even watched one video where he's up on the stage. Joel Osteen is preaching. And out of the mouth of Joel Osteen, he flat out says, look at this scene right here. We, we have Christians and atheists and Buddhists and Mormons and Catholics. This is a picture of heaven. Yeah. If you're not studying your Bible, you'll be led astray by the wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing, false apostles, false prophets, false preachers, ministers of Satan, who appear as they look and sound and appear as ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Their works will bring you to, to the end desire, the goal of the devil. To destroy you, destroy your soul, destroy your faith. He comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The devil wants to destroy the simplicity of the faith. He wants to destroy faith. He wants you to put your faith on something else. He wants to destroy the person of Christ. He wants to destroy the simplicity of faith. He wants to destroy the authority of the word of God. He wants you to question the veracity of the word of God. He wants you to take up the authority yourself. That, that well, I just feel that, well, I believe, well, I think. He wants that, he wants that to happen. Doctrines of devils by seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. Let's take a look at Amos. Amos, back in the Old Testament. Let's look at this. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. How did these things happen? Now it, says, it says that in the latter end, in the end days. Look what, look what the Lord says. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of, uh, for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. A famine of the word of God, a famine of scripture, a famine of the Bible. Because what do we see happening? Is people are casting off the word of God as the final absolute authority in all aspects of faith, the practice of faith. They're denying the word of God as authority. Even though the Lord says he magnifies it above his very name. How high and holy are the names of God? All right, now how high and holy is the word of God? He preserves his word unto all generations. Of the grass, with the flowers, his word will stand forever. It's the scriptures that teach us about God, who is God, the character of God, that teaches us about Christ, the arrival, the work, the identity, the purpose of Jesus Christ, how to be saved, teaches us all this, and people are ignoring it, casting it off because, well, they had a vision. I had a vision. How do you know it wasn't last night's pizza? How do you know it was of God? Well, I saw Jesus, and he was doing face painting with me, and he was 90 feet tall and had long hair. Well, that wasn't Jesus. I'm not joking. I've actually heard people say those kinds of things. Or, well, I just feel that God is so loving, he won't send anyone to hell. 
Okay, well, what about the Bible? Well, I rebuke that religious spirit. You're putting God in a box. Really? You see, these are the kinds of things that, that happen when you cast off the word of God as your final authority. Clowns will take the pulpit. Clowns will fill the pews. People who think they love God, but it's a God of their own imagination. Romans 1, 18 and 25, a God of their own imagination that they've crafted themselves and because they don't like what God says according to the word of God. Well, the Bible's too strict. The Bible's too strict. So you are saying God is wrong, that God made a mistake. That what God is calling sin is therefore wrong, so you know better than God. That you know better than God. Well, how do we know what is of God and what is not? For example, let's just take a look at the whole visions and the dreams thing. How do you know if, if let's say you had a vision, how do you know it's of God? Oh, what does the word of God say? If there's something in your in, in the experience that you had and in its details contradicts the word of God even remotely, then it wasn't of God. For number one, he won't contradict his word. And number two, he, he won't leave you in a confused state with thinking, well, I wonder if that was of God. It wasn't. God is not the author of confusion. If he does show you something or reveal something to you, it will be to bring you back to the word of God, to lead you through the word of God, to glorify his word and himself. That's the purpose of it. But we see today people are being led astray because they're having every dream and vision and experience and feeling and fuzzy wuzzy that they have. They think that that's of God to the point if you take a look at the charismatic movements and the crazy charismania, people are thrashing around on the floor and jabbering like the Flintstones and doing backflips and mooing like cows and saying that that's the Holy Spirit. No. Not even close. Not even close. God is not a God of chaos and confusion and nonsense. He is a God of order and simplicity. And, and the gathering was found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Jesus didn't deliver him of, of all the legion of devils and the, and the gathering suddenly starts jabbering like the Flintstones and flaying around on the floor and running around in circles, jumping up and down and screaming and acting like a crazy possessed man. That's not how God works. But that's what happens. People believe that kind of stuff, teach that kind of stuff when they abandon the word of God. All the way over to the other extreme end where they cast off the word of God, even though they still say they believe in Sola Scriptura, but they say you can't know the Bible unless you read all of our books. Unless you read all of our books, our commentaries, our catechisms, our creeds, our councils, unless you read, read the, the, the writings of our authors, you can't understand the word of God. You have to have the Bible and all of this stuff. Denying the simplicity of the faith. That I can't just read the Bible and I come to the truth. No, we have to tell you what this means. Any ignorant farm boy can pick up a Bible and sit down and by the power of the Holy Ghost, read the thing and know what it says. Simple as that. The Spirit of God warns us that this is going to happen. People are going to be led astray 
because they don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore, the sound teachings anymore. They, they want any other thing that tickles the ears. They want rather go to videos and, and churches and stuff where a person is sitting there, standing there, rocking back and forth, talking like Fred Flintstone with the yabba dabba 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 deuce. Well, I'm speaking in the in the language of angels. Dabba 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 for about five hours. And everyone's saying amen to this. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, how can you say amen to that which you don't even even understand let alone that self-confusion they have no idea what they're even saying in fact it's not even words that's not how angels talk for one that's not of god that's not teaching they think that that's of god that that's bible that's what the faith is about it's about personal satiation the mystic feelings there's another one is that we instead of abandoning the simple they abandon the simplicity of faith and they give heed to physical mysticism or emotional mysticism it's still all about you well i know that that was that was of god because it made me feel it made me feel feelings are doctrine feelings are doctrine that's what society teaches that you, that your reality is basically whatever you feel it is. You can go do, be, have, identify, whatever you want. Whatever you want. Believe whatever you want. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law, is the teaching of society. Abandoning everything of God and becoming your own God and creating your own reality. Because you feel that that's the truth. You just feel. Well, what if your feelings are wrong? Well, how can we know that we, that we would have to have some form then of an absolute authority that, that cannot be corrupted, that, that is an anchor through all time that we can rely on, that we can come back to at any point of any moment, and it will show us true reality of the real truth of what's actually going on and what actually is supposed to be. It's called the scriptures not augustine not the fathers of reformation not visions not dreams not catechisms not councils not church tradition not you not me not anyone else but the lord god almighty himself by his word alone that he gave to us that he spoke to his holy servants he told them what to write and he preserves his word that the man of god is perfected thoroughly furnished to all good works by his word that, that knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. It's not up to what you feel, what you think, or what you want it to say. What it says is what it means. The people bark at authority. They don't like that. They don't like being told that they're wrong. They don't like being told that they have to submit themselves to something else. They want to be their own God. That's why as Kenneth Copeland and all of his crowd teach you that you're a God. You are a God and you can know the difference. You can create. You can speak things into existence like God can, as Copeland says. Where Copeland says, whenever I read in the Bible where God says I am, I just smile and say I am too. This is where you end up when you abandon the word of God as authority. These are teaching all kinds of blasphemies and heresies and satanic doctrines in churches, thinking that this is of God. 
some shall depart from the faith. So the first thing we need to establish then, as we did, is what is faith? Faith is not works. Faith is not righteous works. Faith is not law-keeping. Faith is not faithfulness. Faith is believing trust. So what is it that you are believing and trusting in for your doctrine? As we see in chapter 4, go down to verse 13. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What are the doctrines? The doctrines which whereof ye have received. What have we received from the apostles? What did they hand down to us? The word of God, the scriptures that they penned and God preserved. These things. Now, what is faith? Faith is believing trust. So what is it that you are believing and trusting in? Some shall depart from the faith. So the faith of Jesus Christ. What is the faith of Jesus Christ that he handed down to us? What is it that we are believing in? What he says. His words. My words. They are spirit. They are life. As Jesus said. My words. They are spirit. They are life. The flesh profiteth nothing. My words. They are spirit. They are life. So we abandon. Some shall depart from the faith of Christ, from his words, his teachings, his doctrines about him, himself, his work, his righteousness, his doctrine of his calling of the saints, his work of the saints, the preaching of the saints, according to Jesus Christ. Not according to, to, to the movements, to the traditions, to the denominations, or, or any of that kind of stuff. But according to the words of Jesus Christ. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. Well, see, that's just the thing. If you just believe in Jesus and whatever you do in his name, God will bless. Really? How do you know that that's accurate? How do you, how do you know that that's accurate? That, that God will just bless anything that you do all because you love Jesus. Where's that found? Second Opinions, chapter 3. Because we see in the Bible that the Lord calls us to obey Him, to heed His word, to obey His commandments, according to His doctrines. And anyone who preaches contrary is accursed of God. That's the scriptures say. If any come unto you and bring not this doctrine, that we're to mark and avoid them, have nothing to do with them, that they're accursed of God. That's what scripture says. So what is it that the seducing doctrines of devils will seek to do to you? What is it that they will seek to do? To draw you away from this. Because if as long as you are holding to this, they can't get you. They can't grab a hold of your mind as long as you're holding onto this. That this is your absolute, this is your authority, this is your doctrine, this is your teaching, this is your, your, your constitution, this is your liberty, this is your freedom, this is your everything. This is your everything. What this says. Well, you're narrow-minded. You're right. I'm as narrow as the word of God is thick. So you're, you're condemning all these others that say they love Jesus? Let me just ask you a question. Which Jesus are they loving? Because the Jesus that I understand, what he says is written. What he taught is 
in canon here. His canon, not my canon. His word, not my word. His doctrines, not my doctrine. He's preserved unto all generations. I can know what he says and what he wants. So which Jesus is it that they're loving? The Jesus of their imagination they've created? What about Kenneth Copeland's Jesus? What about the Pope's Jesus? What about the Mormon's Jesus? What about the Buddhist Jesus? Is this all the same Jesus? Is it all the same Jesus? No, clearly not. What about the Muslim's Jesus? What about the Jehovah's Witness Jesus? What about the Catholic and Orthodox Jesus? Is that is that the Jesus of the Bible? Oh, because someone says they love Jesus doesn't mean it's the Jesus of the Bible. What about Joel Osteen's Jesus? It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They've departed from this. They heard this. They didn't want this. They rejected this. They suppress this in unrighteousness, and they create a God of their own imagination. They create a false Christ. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Satanic Christs. But Satan and his minions will come, disguised as ministers of righteousness, angels of light, masquerading as Christ's, masquerading as the moving of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the Spirit of God that just moved there. Really? What did he do? He, he made me roll up and down the, the aisles barking like a dog. That's, the, that's actually a thing that happens in charismania. It's called holy rolling. Where they are so overcome by this spiritual force that they're forced into a ball. They crouch onto a ball and they start rolling up and down the aisles making animal noises and they say that that's the holy ghost yeah the devils will masquerade as the holy spirit to the point where we're professed christians professed christians they say that they're christians and they say god told me that the Bible's not absolute. I've actually heard that. I have heard that more than once. I've heard that multiple, multiple times. People saying that God revealed to them by his spirit that the Bible is not our absolute authority. That that is a demonic religious spirit that would say that. It's a demonic religious spirit, and I rebuke that religious spirit that says that we that we have to only go by the Bible alone. We got quite a mess, don't we? Quite a religious mess. Absolute mess out there. How does this happen? How do these things happen? How do people get trapped into these kinds of things? Get deceived by these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? How do they get deceived like this? There's a famine in the land. 
Not a famine of bread, not a famine of water, but a famine of the Word of God. What happens when we have a famine of the Word of God where there's a void? There's a void here in someone's life. They're not reading, not studying, not believing, not holding to what the Lord has said. What else is going to take over that position, fill that void of authority? If God and His Word is not the authority of your life, something else will be. Something else will be. It'll either be yourself, by your own feelings and opinions, your own interpretations, or someone else. Someone like Joyce Myers, for example, who preaches that Jesus became a satanic, twisted, dark, evil, sinful creature on the cross, and he became sin incarnate, and went and burned in hell for our atonement, that he stopped being the Son of God on the cross, and that God is covered in tattoos. Oh, and we should just we should just end it and be done with it and push all of the righteous living people off a cliff and be done with it. She has said that. This is this is where we end up. This is where you go. Or you get people like Hannah Graf, who was supposedly supposed to be a a powerful, professed Christian, who recanted the faith and recanted salvation by grace through faith alone, called it Anathema Maranatha, and and took up the charge and confessed orthodox orthodoxy as Christianity and denied sola scriptura and, and called accursed sola scriptura. How do people... Go into orthodoxy. They clearly don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ according to scripture then. What gets into these people's minds that twists up their thoughts, twists up their minds, twists up their lives, and causes them to deny the simplicity of the faith, deny the word of God as authority? Seducing spirits. Take a look at that. Take a look at that. You see this over here? That looks pretty good, doesn't it? It's innocent. doesn't hurt anything. Oh, and it's religious. And then people uh, cling to this. And they and it makes them closer to Jesus. What's wrong with praying to Mary? You know, you know, she she she's still alive in spirit. And she, she birthed Jesus. What's wrong with praying to her? It's just like asking a person to intercede for you in prayer. What's wrong with asking Mary? What about asking the dead? What What's wrong with the rosaries and saying the same prayer over and over and over and over and over and over? over and over and over and over and over what's wrong with it with this idea and having all these the, the icons and the idols what's wrong with bowing to a statue and kissing it and blessing it it's not worship it's veneration what's wrong with all this all the and people start looking and paying attention, giving heed. They start listening and listening and listening, taking one little thing, one little thing, one little thing, one little thing. And they start twisting the scriptures to, to support it, to justify it, to validate it. If you, could, if you cherry pick the Bible, you can make it justify absolutely anything. He leads me beside the still waters. Hey, I just justified making moonshine. <laughs> That's about at the, the same logic as these other folk. I twist the Bible and cherry pick scripture, I can make it say anything. Hey, there's motorcycles in the Bible, and the sound of David's triumph was heard throughout the land. So we can literally, if we twist the Bible, we cherry pick the Bible, if we misrepresent, misuse the, the word of God, we can have it justify and validate absolutely anything. 
Judge not. There you go. That'd be all the judge not folks. Judge, you you don't know my heart. No, God does, and you should be terrified. But the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Only God is my judge. You're right. How does he judge? By the word of God. Judge righteous judgment. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Or to judge righteous judgment. What is ju righteous judgment? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? As the word of God says. Well, how do we judge? They don't judge by appearance. They don't judge by our feelings and our senses and our emotions and our own personal reasonings and logic, but rather by God's. Now, how, how can we know what God's judgment is then? He, it's like you think if he wanted us to do that, he would have he would have codified it. He would have canonized it. He would have written it down and left it somewhere for us to be able to use and know. And he would have been able to give us the understanding of it. For the natural man receiveth not the things that be of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And he will cause you to be in remembrance of everything whereunto I have told you. He will teach you all things. Open, open thy mouth wide, and I shall fill it. I will give thee the words with which to say in the very same hour. I will teach thee what to pray. I will, I will guide thee with mine eye. His word, the word of God. The first attack of the enemy is upon the veracity of the word of God. The validity of scripture. The justification of God's word. That's the first thing, the very first thing that Lucifer attacked was the word of God. What God said. What God said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, God does speak to me. He does speak to me outside of the Bible. Well, how do you know that's God? How do you know it is? How do you know that's not uh, one of the enemy masquerading as God, masquerading as Jesus, masquerading as an angel, masquerading as the Holy Spirit, masquerading as ministers of righteousness? How do you know? You're supposed to test everything. Well, I tested it by how it made me feel. Oh, sorry. I didn't know our feelings was the same level of authority as God's word. But don't our feelings lie to us on a regular basis multiple times throughout a day? Your feelings are as fickle as a cup of coffee. How can you uh, how can you use your feelings and emotions as as the instruments of truth? You can't. Facts don't care about your feelings, and neither does the word of God. Your feelings are irrelevant. How, how do you test the spirits to see if they are of God? There must be some standard that cannot be corrupted and that can never make a mistake. Because God cannot lie, and he is not the author of confusion. In him is no darkness, a shadow of turning. And, it, and he stands true, and he doesn't go back on his word. He never goes back on a promise. He never contradicts himself, and neither does his word because his word came from him. Well, the Bible has contradictions, says a devil. But show me one single contradiction in the word of God. People are quick to say that, but uh, they never take you up on it when you say, show me one. There are no contradictions in the word of God, because if there was, then God's a liar and he's not God. Therefore, go eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But you see that in the end, in the end of days, during the great falling away, what is it that they're falling away from? They're falling away from something. What is that? What is it that they're falling away from? The simplicity of the faith. 
the time will come they can no longer abide sound doctrine. They're falling away from the teachings of God, from what God has said. God said this. Well, I just feel that uh, my opinion, my vision, my dream says, so your experiences, you, that, that your reality is higher and of a, high, of a higher authority, more trustworthy than the word of God. Even though the Bible itself, the word of God, contradicts your experience, you are sticking with your experience. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, as we covered some of these things, like for example, as we see in verse 2, speaking lies. Lies. It's lies saying that you're a god and you can speak things into existence like God can. Like Todd White, Bill Johnson, Stephen Burdick, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, Joel Osteen. You, they're all liars. The Pope. You can you can earn your own salvation by suffering in the in the fires of purgatory until you're holy enough to enter the bliss of heaven. That's the Catholic Catechism. That Mary never sinned and never died, and she ascended up to the side of God, and she intercedes for all the saints, and she's the grand redemptress. She helped save you and bring you to heaven. Lies. That your salvation is hinged upon your works, your righteous works, your deeds. That unless you're, if you're not maintaining enough fruit, you're not saved. That your salvation is hinged upon your deeds. Lies. It goes on and on. Speaking lies. And not only just that, but speaking lies in hypocrisy. Saying one thing, but doing the other. Do as I say, but not as I do. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. How many of you have actually been burned by a hot element? Either the stove, a wood stove, or a tool, or something else. Uh, uh, something that's really hot and you actually got really badly burned. How many of you actually got badly burned at some point in your life? Even if just a little bit. It hurts a lot at first, but all the feeling goes away. The nerves are dead. There's no there's no feeling anymore. You don't feel it. That spot where you got burned, you don't feel it anymore. There is one uh, example that I heard. Um, a missionary was asking this one fella how, how he's doing because he had been really struggling a lot in his walk with the Lord. He was a new convert and, and he was had been really struggling and... and uh, he talked and he started to explain to the preacher about you know his constant falling away and coming back falling away and repentance all this kind of thing and he says you know it, it it's like this it's like at, at first you know your heart there's this item in it that's like a sharp edged square and every time it turns it causes pain it hurts a lot when you do it again, it hurts, but not quite as much. And every time it turns, it starts to round off the edges. And soon, you don't even feel it anymore. You don't even feel it anymore. But that's not quite what happened here. This is a deliberate, willful, sudden searing. This is Romans 1, 18 to 25. 
We go back to Romans 1, 18 to 25. We see here, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'll come back to that. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Now they hold the truth in unrighteousness. They saw this and they opposed it. They weren't thankful. They didn't like it. They didn't want it. They, they hated what they, what they were shown. And they, they deliberately took it and changed it into something that they wanted. And they suppressed the truth. Now, I, I really like the explanation that I was shown once. It's very accurate. As uh, you go to the beach... And you have a big beach ball. It's all pumped up. You go down into the water and you take the ball and you push the beach ball under the water. So it's completely submerged. And then you just say, the ball doesn't exist. There is no ball. What ball are you talking about? Nope, 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 nope. There is no ball. Nope. Nope, there is no ball. The ball doesn't exist. Now, I'm not holding a ball. There is no ball. I, I'm not pushing a ball under the water. It fights against them, it opposes them, it contradicts them, it conflicts with them, and they fight against it day in, day out, night and day, fighting, fighting, fighting to suppress, to hold, uh, to force it down, to deny that it exists, and they deliberately change the truth of it. They lie. They lie. They change the truth of God into a lie, preaching some other truth, changing the word of God into something else. Like Benny Hinn making it all about money. Kenneth Copeland, all them, all the prosperity God make it all about money. That, that Jesus died on the cross. So you could get a new Mercedes because he wants you to have your best life now. He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, rich, and powerful. It's all about money. It's all about luxury and fame and power and fortune. Even though the Bible says, store not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but store for yourself treasure in heaven. Set your affection on things above, not on things in the earth. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And on and on, forsaking all, follow, follow me, die to self. No, they ignore all of that. They reject all of that. They preach lies and hypocrisy. Saying, saying if you, you give me all of your money, God will give you so much lies. And then they, 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 they use the money that they are given as proof of their preaching they deceive the people no they're rich because you just gave them all your money not because god god has made them bountiful and then they tell they they, they they make you they, they try to make you believe the the promise that god god will bless you that has nothing to do with the gospel because people cannot abide sound doctrine the simplicity of the faith 
that it's about sin, it's about righteousness, it's about getting ourselves right with the Lord, about preaching the gospel of salvation. It's about salvation. It's not about me and my feelings. It's about salvation. It's about not about me and my life and my deeds and my fame and my fortune. It's about Jesus Christ and his salvation. It's about heaven and hell. It's about the Lamb's book of life. It's about the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the blood of Jesus. It's about the indwelling of the Spirit of God unto salvation. It's about redemption. It's about regeneration. It's, it's about coming again to the Lord and understanding him as your Lord God and Savior. It's about this, the simplicity of the faith. It's not about me and my feelings and my visions and my dreams and my senses. It's not about my buildings and my religiosity and churchianity and traditions and creeds and catechisms and councils and the robes. It's not about any of that. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, risen again unto salvation. It's about being born again. For if you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's about being born again. It's about how can I be saved? What is it that we're telling them? To ready yourself for when they come and ask with the hope within you. What hope? What is it that they're asking you about? What is it that we are supposed to be showing them? How God can make them rich and wealthy and powerful? How you can become a God of your own imagination? How you can be um, mystically religious? How you can learn about the mysteries of Rome? Or how can I understand that I'm a sinner in need of salvation and how Jesus Christ so loves me that he'll wash away my sin and save me? What is, what is Christianity about? What is it that the devils want to destroy? What is it that they want to seduce you away from? What is it that they want to teach you against? Faith. Now what is faith according to Jesus Christ, according to the word of God? This Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Scripture. What does this Jesus say? Whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? Thou art the Lord, thou art the King, thou art the God of our salvation. Thou art the Son of God. You are eternal life. You have the words of life. Master, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of everlasting life. Everlasting life. It's about everlasting life. It's about salvation. It's all about salvation. And the devils, the enemies of our souls, want us to look at anything, anything else but that. They want you to make Christianity about anything but that. Salvation. They want it to be about churchianity. Well, I go to church and I read the Bible, sing the hymns, and I do charity and all this stuff. You're saying that I'm not going to heaven? Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. Many will be crying, Lord, Lord, screaming, Lord, Lord. But Lord, Lord, have I not done many wonderful works in thy name? Have I not prophesied in thy name? Have I not cast out devils in thy name? And he'll say, but I don't know you. How is it that he could not know them? You're not, not listening to what it is that they're crying. But Lord, Lord, have I not done? Have I not done? Have I not done? It's not about what you're doing. It's not about churchianity. It's not about religiosity. It's not about the charity and the loving and the deeds and all the works and the righteous works and the law keeping. It's about the believing. Nowhere did they say, have we not believed in thy name? They were, they were depending on uh, for their salvation on their works. 
Their works and righteous works and law-keeping and their deeds and their religiosity, they're depending on that for their salvation, that they did enough to appease him. They did enough to earn brownie points. They thought that there would be that mystic way scale that got away your good against your bad, which doesn't exist. Well, did I not speak in tongues enough? Did I not heal enough? Did I cast out enough devils? Did not I do enough charity? Oh, what, 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 did I, what did I not do? You didn't believe. You, you mingled, you mingled the water of life with the water of your own deeds. You elevated your charity and your works to equal to the works of Christ on the cross, thus making his work insufficient, thinking you had to help him save you. You corrupted grace. Grace is that it means unmerited favor. That I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. It's not a reward. I don't deserve it. He gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. Grace is absence of self. It's all of him, none of me. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's a covenant, not a contract. Grace alone. Because it's all about him. It's his work, his story. It's the boast of Christ. It's the boast of God. Lest any man should boast. It's not by works. It's the gift of God, not a reward. It's not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. But by grace are you saved through faith, faith, believing, trust. Faith is not works. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not by righteous works which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God washes us clean and cleanses us, regenerates us, when we believe on the living God, the Savior of all men, the Lord Jesus Christ. The devils want you want to confuse this, frustrate this, corrupt this, muddy this. They they want to get in the way of this. They want to uh, uh, somehow dilute this with our own deeds. Dilute the blood of Christ with the water of our efforts. As John the Baptist said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That's the, that's the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God washes us clean. We don't wash ourselves. The Spirit of God holds us. We don't hold ourselves. The Son of God saves us. We don't save ourselves. It's not by works, righteous works, or law-keeping. It's not about us. It's not our story. In the volume of the book, it's written of me, Jesus says. It's about him. The seducing spirits and doctrines of devils want to seduce you away from Christ alone. They want to teach you other doctrines to get you away from the word of God alone. They want to destroy the salvation story of Christ by making it about works, righteous works, or law-keeping when it's not. It's the boast of God, not the boast of me. It's the work of Christ, not my works. It's the blood of Christ, not the blood of man. John chapter 1. Let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, that's our blood, our efforts, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are born by the power of God, not by any power of man. I see in 1 Corinthians 1.30, He is our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our redemption. He's our Savior. He's the one that regenerates us. It's His sanctification, His wisdom, His blood, His power, His work. Nothing of me. It's not my story. But the devil wants to make it about you. It's not my church. It's His. 
The devil wants you to own it. It's not my money, but the devil wants you to claim it. It's not my authority. The devil wants you to take it up. It's not my power, not my faith. It's all his. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. He holds me. I can't hold myself. And we're held in the hand of the Father. No man can pluck you out. That means you can't pluck yourself out either. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about him. The Spirit of God speaks especially in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. There will be a great falling away. There will be a great falling away. His people uh, grow bored because they can no longer abide sound doctrine. But they will give heed to seducing spirits, the doctrines of devils, that the, as they have t uh, itching ears, and they seek unto them teachers having itching ears that be turned unto fables. They want someone to tickle the ears. Tell us some new thing. Tell us some new thing. Because we're so bored with the Bible. We're so bored with Christianity. We need something new. You're bored with Jesus Christ, are you? You're bored with Jesus Christ. You're bored with the Word of God. You, you've, you've read this so many times, you've completely emptied it, that there's nothing else in this thing that you could possibly learn. Eh? That's where we are. That's where we are. These people are so bored at this. They start to cherry pick the word of God. They got to make Christianity about some uh, some denominational distinctive hobby horse. They have to make it about something else. Preaching other doctrines, other philosophies, other practices, other, other things from politics to every other thing in the pulpit. Because they can no longer abide sound doctrine. They got to win the world by becoming like the world. They got to water down, down sin, air conditioned hell. They got to make the devil not as bad. They got to make the world our friend. Because they can no longer abide sound doctrine. They got to swing open the gates of heaven so much wider to be more inclusive. Because, well, I just feel that God is more loving than the Bible says. That sin is no longer sin. How does it happen? You know, my, it was my uh, younger brother. I actually had a had a, something to say about this and it was so on the nose my younger brother said, said one day we were talking about the end of days we were talking about the great falling away we we're talking about this kind of thing you know how could this happen the way the churches are going and everything and he pipes up and he says you know what did you think the great falling away would look like We talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, but what did you think it would look like? What did you think it would look like? It would look like the modern church. It would look like modern Christianity. That's what it looks like. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Then the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. So now let's just, let's bring this home. Let's bring this home. Let's wrap this up. Let's bring this home. So with that said, how do you know that you are not part of the falling away? How do you know that you're on the right road? How do you know 
you're believing in the right Christ. How do you know that the doctrines that you have are correct according to God? How do you know? What are you basing your faith on? What is it that you have faith in? What are you trusting? How do you know? Because there's for, for everyone that says they have the truth, there's a million people that would call that person wrong. There's an army out there to tell you that you're wrong regardless where you're standing, regardless what you're believing. So you can't go by what other people say. You can't go by peer pressure. You can't go by what other people say. You can't go by that. There has to be one singular standard that regardless what other people say or think or feel or whatever, that that standard is true. What is your standard of truth? What is your standard of truth? You can't base it on denominational distinctive because every denomination winds up going corrupted by some way, shape, or form. You can't go by church tradition because so often we found traditions being based completely on corruptions and eventually being proved wrong. You can't go by feelings and opinions because well, those are always being shown to be completely untrustworthy. What can we base it on? What is it that the devil attacks? What is it that the enemy of our souls wants to seduce us away from? What is it that the devils want to teach so to corrupt? That, so by, by promoting their own doctrines. Well, how can we know what a devil's doctrines are? Well, first we've got to know what God's doctrines are. Well, how can we know what God's doctrines are? And thus, we complete the circle. There you go. Any thoughts, comments, questions, issues, insights, concerns, criticism, please go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? So again, we look at this today as we're going through. Uh, Paul has a lot to say to Timothy, and I know we're reading a lot between the lines in this, but this is what Paul is referring to because when we compare what he says here with the rest of the Word of God, just as we know Paul would do and how Paul would preach, we can see what he's implying. We can see what he's meaning by all this. And as much as, as this applies to today, it's the same back then. Look at the churches back then getting so corrupted. Look at the church of Corinth. They had all kinds of immorality and fornication and adultery and all kinds of horrible stuff going on there. Church of Laodicea. These are churches that Apostle Paul founded. Doesn't take very long, does it? It does not take very long for an average uh, professed Christian to stray from the truth and completely corrupt the faith. That's what happens when we don't stand firm upon the word of God. Stand still and know that he is God. He, he is authority. He is power. I am not. I am nothing. He is everything. He is our wisdom. He is our knowledge. He's our power. He's our sanctification. He is our redemption. He teaches us all things. He causes us to be in remembrance of everything that he has said. He teaches us how to pray. And he will never contradict himself. He will never tell a lie. He will never corrupt the truth. He'll never lead me astray. When I abide on him and his word abides in me, he'll show me and teach me all that I need to know. So there you go. Some things to think about. There you go.
All right, so with that then, if there's nothing else, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in, folks. Hope this has been a help and a comfort and a blessing to you. If you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, as a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. So you know we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons of other goodies and content as well as check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca, christiancoffeetime.ca. We have links to all our other platforms and goodies. We have free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks. Make sure you avail yourself to that and get busy about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we have links to other accounts and platforms, everything else, as well as a contact us link on there that you can reach out to us if you so need to. And with that, wrap it up there. All right, so again, folks, it's a fine line. It's a fine line between truth and doctrines of devils. It's a fine line. What God says is absolute. His word is absolute. He is the absolute authority, and his word stands above his very name. Hold fast to this. Hold fast to the word of God. Because if you don't, something else will fast hold on you. Get your nose in the book. Hold it, study it, read it, believe it. There you go. So with that, wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.